Hello? Bam. Let's see here. <laughs> Thurman's still connected. Let me start my video. All right. Good to see you. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. I just like, I, I didn't have any technical difficulties on the line. I just filmed a guest here in the studio, but I oh, was wow. like, I thought I was like maybe too far away from my router or something. I don't have a hardwire ethernet in here yet. Um, but I, I'm getting one. I just haven't got around to it. So. Well, congrats on the new studio. Thanks. Yeah. It looks way, I'm glad you guys came by and saw it when it looked like total garbage. Cause now it looks awesome. It's kind of messy in here, but um, we, the remodel went really nice. So, Thurman, can you hear us? Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good, good. What's in the jar? Cold moonshine. Little cold brew. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right on. Okay, cool, yeah. The owner of Midtown oh, Coffee, uh, he just came by and did an episode, so he brought, uh, brought some brew with him. Cool. Hi, Julie. Thurman, what's behind you? Uh, it's a painting that Terry's been working on for like a year and a half. <laughs> That's a painting? Yeah. That yeah, looks awesome. Dude, yeah, I thought pretty. that was your fireplace last time. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, it's a painting. It's, it's uh, the old art building at Tech. It's, it's, oh, wow. I, I recognize some university architecture there. Yeah, it's, it's like one of the oldest buildings on campus, So, and it's where we met. So, I feel way cooler than I'm drinking this coffee out of a styrofoam cup for some reason. Yeah, reality. it's very classy. You're, you're destroying me. the environment. I know. It was all we had. I, I walk, it was all we had in the party supplies bin for the gym. I had to go rob it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it, did it you get? At least it's not a red solo cup. So that's that true. Yeah. Hey, did you guys see today? Um, Stuff circulating about the George Washington statue. Which statue? Like the monument or one of his? Uh, one of the one of there's a statue of George Washington, and they put a um like a Klan outfit on it, apparently. Oh, right, no. and said slave owner. That's I mean, for all I know, it could have been a it could have been Robert E. Lee wearing the Klan outfit. I don't know, yeah. but somebody was like, "This is George Washington's statue. This is what people think of it." And I was like, yeah, that, but then there's also this picture. I'll see if you guys can see it. This was just brought to my attention today. See Abraham Lincoln here. He's petting this slave, former slave, I, perhaps. I have seen that before. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm disturbed by that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if we yeah. took that down. Anyway. Yeah, right. right. I'm, Which I'm, is I'm, why we're here today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh. George Washington in a Klan outfit? Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's what. Here, let me pull it up. It was, it was right. George, George Washington wearing a Klan outfit, and it okay. said slave owners spray painted in red. Okay. And it was like him riding a horse. And I was like, oh, I wonder what monument that is. Um, I didn't look into yeah. it too much, but I saw it shared like two or three times on social media. Uh, let's see. But I know they've been vandalizing founding father statues. Jefferson had a statue that was uh, having some controversy around it in Missouri. Uh, I think it's the question of 
like the the founding fathers ideas of freedom even though at the time they didn't extend to everybody does their ideas still hold them up in esteem or should they also be canceled because they were slave owners yeah yeah and like where so that's been something that's come up for for me uh people have brought that up a lot whether it's i'm talking to people that are perpetuating irish slave myths or whatever uh, but, <laughs> but people have people have brought that up well what about the founding fathers and i just tell them i'm like well thomas jefferson told us not to put him on anything and uh so that this sort of mm-hmm. stuff wouldn't happen i think my mom was like what about mount rushmore do you want to blow that up and I somebody, said, somebody said that to me i'm open to it that was um sacred native american land that they built that on yeah yeah so if the native americans want to get rid of it i'll i'll be there for the destruction (laughs) somebody you know i made a post about um the native americans during the civil war that um like they basically only uh, not only but a lot of them chose the side of the confederacy because they weren't receiving tribal annuities from the federal government and then they were like, didn't receive anything from the Confederacy, then rejoined the Union, you know, but they were like, what about Native Americans? And I was like, I just made a post about them yesterday. I'll tag you in it, I guess. I feel like yeah, it, people just really want to take the spotlight off of black people. Yeah. I and think it's you're really right. concerning to me. It's like, why, well, you want to, yeah, shift the spotlight to someone else. You do not want it on black people. Why is that? Well, and people like... I saw somebody just today sharing up a white guy at like a mall or something. And they're like, see, I see videos like this every day. And I was like, what does that have to, it's comparative suffering. That's like, people want to like diminish one person's suffering by saying like, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, the, yeah, the Irish, they were never hereditary slaves though. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't passed on to their children. They had yeah. control over their bodies, like there's all sorts of things you can go into with, on on the subject. But indentured servitude versus chattel slavery, I think, is a bit different, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, um, well, Thurman, why don't you, why don't you lead us off, man? Tell everybody what we're going to talk about and stuff, if you don't mind. Okay, uh, this is a. Uh, a series that we're going to make over the lost cause myth in cinema. And that's in cinema history, of course. So we're going to start kind of with the roots of that. And for those unaware of what the lost cause myth is, it's that the Confederate States of America fought the Civil War over these principles, these ideals that were honorable and just and righteous and did not involve slavery at all and that it was the northern aggressor that came down and caused all kinds of problems and um, yeah that's sort of where we are with that but uh, we're going to start at the very beginning which is in 1915 with arguably the first blockbuster American movie, D.W. Griffiths, The Birth of a Nation. Is that, is that good? That's good. That's good. Okay. All I right. got, I got white was, goosebumps. <laughs> okay. 
Well, um, what's what's notable about the movie The Birth of a Nation is that it um, is a movie that is horrifically racist. It is uh, terribly misleading and inaccurate in its portrayal of not just people, but also of history. But it is also a groundbreaking movie that encapsulated a lot of new innovations in cinema that had never been seen prior to this point. So I think a lot of people have this kind of conflicted ideal of this film. It's like, should we honor this movie because it was forward thinking, because it had so many ideas in terms of its production that hadn't been seen before. Like it was technically the first feature length movie. Uh, it had innovative use of extras, of close-ups, of editing, of tinting in the film. Um, the narrative structure is um, interesting. It had reenactment stuff out of history. Well supposed history to uh, D.W. Griffith, but, um, and, and it was also the first film, I believe, to have an actual orchestral movie score written yes. for it, which, you know, is, is, that's, that's interesting. It was a lavish, big-budget production film, but people, I think, have sort of this issue with, do we honor the film because it is innovative, and, and, and is, is that why we sort of keep it around? Because its message is complete propaganda. It is a, just a horrific portrayal of African-Americans, of slavery, of reconstruction. I mean, you can even, I know there are some people who will argue, well, hey, the first half of the movie is not that bad because it deals with the Civil War era, but the second half of the movie is, you know, absolutely terrible with the reconstruction stuff. But I think it's all bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, like, yeah, I, I think, I think, in terms of its, and its, its narrative is is mostly melodrama, right? You, I mean, you're focused mostly on these these virtuous white characters, right? Who, um, you know, are these archetypes for what Southern people were supposed to be during the Civil War era and the Reconstruction era. But they're, I mean, they're, 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 they're not real. I mean, they, these aren't real people. They're, they're just uh, embodiments of what is supposed to be these attributes of valor and honor and uh, that it's the black man and his cohorts, the uh, carpetbaggers and the politicians, the Republican politicians during the Reconstruction era who are uh, technically ruining America. Like there's an interesting scene that is at the beginning of the film, which shows uh, the um, purchase of a slave, uh, which I believe is supposed to be either in, uh, well, it's colonial America, right? We're talking like early, early, like maybe, maybe even Puritan times, right? Even though that's somewhat inaccurate too, but, <laughs> um, but uh, that the root of all evil in America is due to the African slave. I mean, that becomes apparent later in this, this narrative. And it's just, uh, it's an abomination. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. Like, I mean, I, I can't sugarcoat that, you know? I'll say it's, it's the most blatantly racist yeah. thing I've ever watched. <laughs> yeah. 
and the fact that it was considered racist in 1915. Right. Like it, the film was boycotted in several major cities. Um, that kind of blew me away that even, you know, we're watching it now. And I think watching older films, we often think like, oh, this is how it was then. This was accepted as this. This film was not accepted as, as this. Even at the time, people were like, this is racist. This is not acceptable. And I mean, it was based off a novel called The Klansman. Like, yeah. you're yeah. a bad start with that. <laughs> right, which, which that's interesting, too, because that, it, the book was by, um, I'm trying to remember, what the, Thomas Dixon. That was the name of the guy who wrote the book. And it was actually a series of books. There were two other novels that were involved in this, and apparently they were big sellers. But The Klansman was written roughly 10 years before the production of the film, so 1905, and the film comes out in 1915. And I think also what's intriguing is that prior to D.W. Griffith's production of The Birth of a Nation, there was an attempt to make The Klansman previous to that in 1911, but it never came to fruition. But so it's like this novel had been kicking around for a bit. So it kind of shows that, you know, this sentiment did exist, right? That people did, or, I mean, I'm not, of course, going to generalize and say everybody felt that way. Because obviously, you know, you point out that, hey, people were boycotting this movie. They're saying, hey, this is blatantly racist. This is terrible. And it wasn't just the NAACP who was saying that. You had white people coming out and being like, hey, this is wrong. You can't do this. But um but I think it's interesting that that um, that it, it, it's still that that even back like in 19, 1905, 1911, 1915, you know, you've got it's it's just this 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 production like like it's it's bound to happen. Unfortunately, somebody's going to put it up on screen. It's going to happen, and it's it's just a shame because of that. But um, yeah. Uh, Blatantly racist, most blatantly racist film I've ever seen too. I'll, I'll say that's probably the best description. If you were to write like a one sentence review of it, it would probably be something like technically brilliant. Yeah, comma, the most racist film I've ever seen. You know, that's. <laughs> yes. What, what do you, one of you guys say something about um, rinsing your mind out with bleach or something like that after you watch yeah, it. You definitely need to take a, a shower with bleach and a Brillo pad after you see it, you know, it's, it's, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's bad. And I mean, we can pinpoint specific scenes and all, but it's my question, a question that I was thinking while I was watching this was um, sort of, what do we do with a film like this, especially today? Right. I mean, like we have the controversy now with, with Gone with Wind being pulled from uh, HBO Max, right? But what do we do with a film like, I mean, which, which Gone with the Wind is universally accepted as this great movie. You know, I mean, it's, it's the American Film Institute, uh, even like 10, 12 years ago, ranked it like in the top 10 movies, American movies ever made, you know? And, um, but what do we do with a film like The Birth of a Nation? What do we do that, with that? It's, it's the question like with, and to me, I was seeing parallels kind of with the Confederate statues, right? What do we do with that? And what do we do with a film uh, like, like The Birth of a Nation? Because it's not history. I mean, it, it is film history, but it's not history history, right? Sort of like the Confederate statues are not real history. They're sort of 
somebody's interpretation of what happened, which is totally fictitious, but it's, um, you know, there, there's somebody's idea of what, but what, what do we do with it? Do we ban it? Do, is there some way we can put some type of context into it? I mean, what, what do we do? Because it, it is a, achievement wise, it is a landmark film, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a conundrum. It's, it's, it's a problem. Let me ask you this. <laughs> What do you I was going to say, oh, go ahead, Joey, sorry. since it's film, it's considered art. So do we censor art is the question. Right, right, yeah. I don't think we want to go there. So I do think, you know, and that's what they are doing with Gone with the Wind is providing historical context when they introduce the film. I think having historical context is good because as we've seen with Birth of a Nation, it, I mean, it's not just racist, it is a fear-mongering film. It led mm -hmm. to the resurgence of the Klan. Right, yeah. yeah. Some people are boycotting it. It spoke to this a bunch of racists in order to get the Klan going again. Um, and just watching it, too, you know, the, the fear that African Americans are going to overtake our government and basically take revenge on white people and... Mm -hmm abuse all our white women like those are dangerous ideas right but well i mean right not, not, but right it's it's not just only you know is is it going to be the black menace or whatever but it's also that the federal government is helping this happen too right and it's all the poor southerners you know there's they're still on their own they're not you know they're not part of this but right it's it's I, in, in one of the books that I actually read and used in my thesis, um, it's called Enemies Within, and it's just about conspiracy theories in America actually talks about Birth of a Nation in there and says that it is essentially like the first conspiracy movie. And I, I thought that that was like really, you know, kind of intriguing, you know, that, but that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the fruit, because it, it, it denotes this sort of plot that you have, right, the, the, the freed blacks and the government who are conspiring together to uh, uh, pretty much take what they want from the South and, and rule over it. And that, right, as Julie was saying, this movie led to the resurgence of the, of the KKK and it did incite riots, I mean, race riots. Yeah, you know, and like, so I remember this would have been 07, 08, 09 when I was uh, in school. I was taking intro to film. Like, this is something that came up in that class. So I think maybe one question is, like, so a debate is, do we study it as, like, a, a piece of uh, film and, like, okay, well, this is something that we're going to handle over here in this humanity particularly or this uh, liberal fine art English department, uh, technically, right, academically speaking. But uh, whereas like, so like, that's the biggest thing I've heard about, like the thing that I've been advocating for with the monuments is like, yes, not in public spaces, a museum right. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but it's like, so what do we, you know, gone with the wind having some like a disclaimer, like with, uh, or, or with the, but I don't know what to do with birth of a nation, right? Like it's a right. little bit, it's a little further removed. I feel like it would be an easier cleanup. Like, if, do either one of you guys have Disney Plus? I know that yes. seems off base. But like, if you go watch uh, Lady and the Tramp, for example, um, there is a warning at the beginning, right? It's like, hey, uh, we have these racist uh, stereotypes portraying with these Siamese cats, right? That's basically what it says. 
but it's like so it you know pulling it like that's been everybody i i feel like has kind of said the same thing on the gone with the wind let's pull it until we can figure out what to do uh like something like maybe what disney has done but like still like i kind of like intro to film mentioning it for the techniques what you were saying earlier with birth of a nation but like it's a fiction and it has some terrible terrible aspects about it. it's like what do we do with that i mean yes gone with the wind has done things we could talk about that in a little bit but what like i just i don't know what to do with it i don't know where to fit it i don't like it has a cinematic value only to me i that's why i don't i don't think it should be banned entirely um because obviously you learn a lot about you know the history of the time period this film is coming out that's why i think it needs the context because that is really interesting um, and important to know, but you know, you, you don't need to be showing this on Thanksgiving weekends or having like David Duke style movie screenings of birth of a nation. Like it should not, you know how, what is it? Um, what some of the theaters will show like the great escape or all these like classic films. It does not need to be in that space, much like the Confederate monuments. It doesn't need to be in a space where it's being honored, but it should be, still remembered for a historical context. Right, I think, I think that's a good point. It's sort of like, um, because in, I mean, I view this film as propaganda. That's what I view it as, right? And I, 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 we're all probably pretty much agreed with that, right? That mm -hmm. this, is, this is an early form of a propaganda film, which is interesting because somebody's doing this in 1915, sort of before like the Soviets took on the idea and started using it, or even uh, uh, the Nazis, right? With like Triumph of the Will. Uh, as a notable uh, propaganda film, but um, I, uh, one like one of the aspects I guess that really bothers me about Birth of a Nation, and because I mean it is a propaganda film, and Brian, you kind of mentioned earlier that or that it's it's a narrative film, but in a way it masquerades itself as being history. It has scenes in it that are supposed to be ripped right from the history pages, right? Like you have Lincoln's assassination in there, yeah. which fairly well done actually i mean that's not bad right but then you have this other stuff in there like the 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 absolutely horrendous meeting uh of the the south carolina congress right where you have uh you know all these black americans in there now and they got their feet all propped up on the desk and they're eating chicken and then you have the 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 poor white minority folks over here who can't get a vote in on anything and it's like come on you know no it, it's it's make it's it's propaganda that tried to turn the oppressors, which were the the uh, the the white Southerners, in into the oppressed, and and it wasn't like that. What what are some other tenets of the lost cause myth uh, that you see perpetuated in the film? Outside of what like what you just said, like what are some other things that you see? is a common stereotype like stereotypes i see being perpetuated right now or like in the 50s about oh they're gonna rape our white women and i mean but that th that not being a part of necessarily the lost cause but i mean that's like if you know the lost cause like we're doing these podcasts on these different films but you can see it you can see like oh okay yes that that's a perpetuation of this that is tying it because they're like got six main tenants that most people prescribe to well other than other than like the the blatant racist aspect of it i mean like the the um as far as like the causes of the war are are, are sort of underlined in here and, and i mean it's it's not it, like 
they completely leave out uh, the the firing on Fort Sumner. That is totally left out of the story. Instead, it's like you got well, hey, we're the Southern people, and we're just we're just fine and dandy down here, and our slaves are fine and all that. And, and then the all the slaves stuff, are oh, dancing. Yeah, right. They're dancing around a bonfire and they're having a good time and <laughs> you know, all that. And, and and but then then you get to this this card, which is supposed to be a um, uh, a historical facsimile, I think is what it says on there, of Lincoln. Hey, I'm going to send 75,000 troops down to the south because, uh, you know, I got to get things in order down there, or whatever, you know. But it's weird because they have this scene in there where Lincoln's signing off on this to send the troops down there and all this, you know, the northern aggressor or whatever. But the movie actually portrays Lincoln as being like the good northerner, which is fairly common actually in the lost cause is that well or this idea that hey if lincoln had lived you know things wouldn't have been so bad in the reconstruction he would have went easy on us you know but um i mean that that's that's fairly but you have that right i think the movie actually refers to him as the great heart i think that's what it calls him the great heart like i mean i like lincoln a lot but I don't know like like that just it, it it's it's so melodramatic that <laughs> that it's it's just ridiculous but that lincoln is the good northerner and that the war was completely perpetuated by the north that it was that the south just well, we wanted to leave in peace and you know just live our lives in our own way and all that and um uh we, we know that's not true you know we know, we know historically that is not true yeah. Yeah. So this is a, I, I, something else off topic to what you just said, but this is the very first film with an intermission, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, because of yeah, its length. Right. Like you said, the orchestral score, and I like that was something else I had remarked on, but that's super interesting. I was like, wow, okay. So this is like that, but they were saying it was like that became more of a tradition after this in cinema, right? Right, right. Yeah, I think what the average silent film was probably about 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, and this was over three hours or whatever, like you know, three, three close to four hours of film, right? Yeah. And people, people hadn't seen a spectacle like this. And right, what's what's also intriguing is that this is the highest grossing American film prior to Gone with the Wind, right? I mean, that's fascinating. Well, right? The thing because that kind of blew me away too was the the tickets for this movie were so expensive for the time. Yeah like adjusting for inflation, it was about 20 bucks for a ticket. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like who was paying to go see this? Yeah, right, and, but, but, and, and reading about sort of like the immersive experience or whatever of this, like apparently what they had, uh, um, ushers dressed as clan members. <laughs> I, I, did anybody else read about this? Because I read about yes. it. You know, I was like, yeah, they had ushers, you know, in the hoods and everything, showing people into the theater. <laughs> you know, the thing wow. that's crazy for me, and I guess speaks to how powerful uh, movies are, yeah. not just that this got the clan going again, but this is where, like, the burning crosses came from. This was not a thing before this movie. Yeah. Also, the, I mean, the costuming as well. Like the the clan outfits historically did not look like that before this film. Yeah. yeah. And then surprise, right? Art imitating life, life imitating art. Yeah. So 
you know, this is something, and, and this may have kind of to do along the lines of censorship, but there is something to be said here, I think. I was thinking this was just kind of going through on both of these, but like particularly with, with Gone with the Wind, because it's, like it's a little more visible, um, it's easier to see because there's this dialogue and, uh, you know, the opening sequences and stuff. But it's like, how much does this perpetuation of this of these myths in these fictions is in propaganda influence like we are seeing this public opinion being reinforced on these uh tenets of the lost cause in every aspect right like duke's like somebody was bringing up duke's a hazard last night like like you know but in culture Why? like I, well they were like i was commenting on something uh maybe that flag post i shared and they're like well the reason that hillbillies probably think that it, it, you know it's it's popular because of this and i was like actually it's i think it's popular because of this um that stuff that i just shared it says that yeah that's what i think and but i was like but more like the dukes of hazard is a product like that's just like the doubling down on everything like oh yeah battle flag army northern virginia it's great we love it it's been around for 20 years now in culture but yeah. like it's like a cause and effect like you're saying like Gone with the Wind's the next highest grossing movie, but it's like how much are these uh, the perpetuation of these myths influencing not just like people outside of the South, like the like public opinion, like that's something I just kept thinking about, and I, I get that like I feel like if we were influencing public opinion, we would be shushed, you know. But you know, maybe I don't know. Like podcasters get censored all the time, honestly. But yeah. um, like that's why Joe Rogan has left YouTube is over censorship. Right, he's pulling all of his videos off of YouTube. He's the highest uh, viewed podcast on the whole internet, and he's leaving due to censorship. But it's like, if anybody is influenced in public opinion, that guy probably could be. So, like, I don't know really what the laws are on that, but yeah, that's always a fine line with censorship. I mean, you know, if you've ever been on a college campus, you've always seen the crazy preachers with the abortion pictures and yelling at people and stuff like they have a designated space they have to be in to do that that the university zones off for free speech um to get around you know being able to have them there but and not get sued for telling them they can't use their first amendment rights mm -hmm. um but yeah like i said i mean film is art so yeah i i don't like birth of a nation i felt awful watching it and I felt even more awful because I kept laughing out of shock at how like racist it was but at the same time like I I just don't think we should it should be totally banned no one ever watched this ever um, I think people need to know like hey people someone made this movie and it was racist and yeah, it's, it's history, it's historical context at this point, but it has to have that context with it so people understand it and it's not used once again to get the clan going. Right, I, I think something that like, I, I've been thinking about with this is, is that I think it's interesting that a film like this has been around now 105 years, right? And, but it, it never sort of received the song of the south treatment right <laughs> yeah, where it just like pretty much vanishes i well i guess maybe because it's a disney product you know i don't know maybe they're a bit you know more disney's better at hiding their old shames yeah so but that you know that's that's kind of fascinating to me and um 
another thing that's kind of fascinated me about the birth of a nation is, I, I mean, of course, it's completely subversive, but um, how it exposes the racism of our uh, president at that time, Woodrow Wilson. I think that that's... Uh, quoted in the movie. Yeah, he's right. But I mean, it's almost like like he's quoted in the movie in order for him to be like, oh, hey, hey, I'm in. I have to rubber stamp this now. You know, I have to say that, hey, uh, you know, this is because like his quote was was allegedly, allegedly, this has always been debated, right? That it's like history written in lightning and that my only regret is that it is oh so terribly true or whatever, which, which is like. Well, he personally knew Dixon, right? Yeah. Dixon was his student or something like that. Or he knew him from university setting. So I've always wondered, yeah, did he say that? Or, I mean, I knew, I know he did the screening as a favor to him, knowing mm -hmm. him. I'm like, did he say this meaning it? Or did he just invite this guy to show his film? And then he was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> well, something to think about. I was thinking about this today. It's like, how long from the time you guys are talking about right now to the time the last slaves are at the White House? Because I was listening to something talking about Jefferson's presidency and he was like, uh, they were talking about the Lewis and Clark expedition said um, how the South won the war uh, book. But um, they're like, yeah, Jefferson had the White House slaves doing this and that and this. And then I was like, well, you know, I wonder, I wonder when the last slaves were at the White House. I, like, I just had this thought like two hours ago. I didn't have a chance to uh, look it up yet. But right. So but it's like that's something that's, um, that's interesting. Like we're not that that wouldn't be that far removed. 1915. Like everybody who's alive at that time who is going to have like a grandpa that was a former slave. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe a White House slave. I don't know. But it's like that that's something fascinating to me is like how how far removed the presidency would be from it. It's like, you know, like did was there slaves at the White House right before Lincoln? I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I'll actually I'll do that while we're sitting here. I think like a a, a thought to piggyback onto that is you know, they didn't make birth of a nation to be like, oh, let's create this lost cause myth. And I mean, D.W. Griffith, like he believed in this. The author of this book believed in this. Like this is something that was around before this movie came out, obviously. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when did the lost cause myth really start and who was responsible for starting it? I would say, I mean, I see it's starting to become evident by 1890, right? That's like reconstruction is over. Like one thing I always point to right. uh, is that um, right as reconstruction was over, our next six governors in Arkansas after that were former Confederate officers. <laughs> and they were undoing like, so at that time you have uh, everybody basically getting Senate and everything, every, everything in line. So by 1890, you can start perpetuating Jim Crow. Yeah, right. No, I, I think you're completely right with that, Brent. Right. Reconstruction has to end. You have to get rid of the sort of federal oversight, but you also have to get rid of the uh, troop presence too, right? You don't have as, so then that means pretty much you can run rampant if you're part of a certain secret society. You know, you can do what you want at that point. You don't have to worry about necessarily military <laughs> intervention of any Are you talking about the, you talking about plan or UDC? Well, maybe both. <laughs> you know, the DAR, have you guys looked much into the Daughters of American Revolution? No. Okay. Like, um, 
they okay well it's still an active chapter over in dardanelle that still meets and they designed our state flag added the four star to it yeah i mean i'm dude i'm being like okay so here's an x right and if you go like this it's a diamond yeah but yeah. we do we do have the only diamond mine in north america but that so i could be being conspiratorial about that but they designed our state flag the daughters of the american revolution designed our state flag but they also are who responsible for flying the stars and bars and putting up that monument so uh in darnell the one we've been uh chatting about what something that's like interesting is that like i've seen pictures of the monument when it's current place maybe about 20 years ago and that flagpole was not there yeah did anybody hear back from the mayor that. right that's what did you did you hear back from the mayor julie didn't you say you no wow. several like I'm, hey how's it going <laughs> i'm friends with that guy on facebook i've thought about uh hitting him up and being like hey jimmy what's up you know <laughs> you know me right just but it's you know i i do want some acknowledgement on it uh, i think that just mm -hmm. so many people don't know that that's the, what the stars and bars looks like yeah uh, that because uh, i'll say hey do you know that this flag flying in dardanelle and they'll be like no i would have seen yeah. that but they're thanking the battle flag of the army of northern virginia right right yeah no i mean like when when i spotted it like it just completely just like i was completely taken aback and what's weird is that i drive past that almost every day to get to work you know and i just happen to be driving through and i look up and i'm like that's the confederate stars and bars where did that come from you know i'm like it's still flying shouldn't that be like a white flag <laughs> the real flag of the confederacy what do you guys think about the i know we haven't had time to or haven't talked about this uh but the uh nascar banning right i think we're messaged about it a little bit but what are you guys thoughts on on what they're doing with that i, I like that we're making those moves and militaries uh branches of the military starting to uh, take on that issue as well right but who who would have who would have thought it would have been nascar to take these steps though right i mean that's what's like so surprising about this that's, that's a flex like, yeah right that's like southern redneck heaven man you know <laughs> Did you see him? Like the, that one guy was like, "I'm." He's like the, a NASCAR truck racer. I didn't even know that was the thing, but he's like, "I'm leaving NASCAR yeah. over this." And then NASCAR tweeted, "Was like, we had to Google who you were." See ya. <laughs> that was good. Wow. But yeah, having NASCAR on our side of like, hey, let's get rid of all these like, you know, loser participation medals. That's a big step. I never would have thought NASCAR would have turned on that. What do you, okay, so we were messaging about this. Um, this is a great time, I think. The, 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 we're seeing all this stuff happen, but the Aunt Jemima thing, right? Like, that, that's another sort of perpetuated stereotype. But, man, I like people from my, my parents' generation are super up in arms, pissed yeah. off that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's going to be next? You know, it's, it's a pancake syrup. Erasing history. Yeah. yeah, I've heard people say, oh, where, where does it stop, though? Yeah. Where does it stop? Equality? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so not to jump ahead, but this is something I, I came across that it, like, really bothered me, honestly, because I saw some uh, people have been sharing things over the Gone with the Wind thing about the character um, that played Mammy. What was her name? McDaniel? Addie, Addie McDaniel. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and this was in L.A., 
1940. She was not allowed to go into the auditorium and sit with the other co-stars, and she was given a speech to read that was written by the studio. But people always like to, like, I've seen people in the Aunt Jemima thing being like, well, she was the first black lady to win an Oscar, and oh, we're just going to take that away, too. Like, I saw something along the lines of that, and I'm like, yeah, but do you know that part? you know that she was that she was treated that way like oh she was allowed in but it's allowed in the auditorium uh but they like yes. had to like escort her in right or something like that she, she they had to get closer. special permission for her to be there and she had to sit at a table all the way in the back with like her agent and an escort um i don't i don't know i don't know anything about what if her speech was written for her but I do know she was not allowed into the after parties after the ceremony was over, which is terrible. And that's she, in LA. That, yeah. Jeff Woods suggested this book to me today. You guys could maybe look into it too. Um, Sweet Land of Liberty. It does. It deals with segregation, but more like de facto segregation in the North and the and in, in the West, which is, is something I've just like made my rounds in the scholarship on Jim Crow. Now I'm super interested into like, okay, how did this happen outside of the South? And like, did it worsen because of like films, like what we're talking about on doubling down on these stereotypes and things? Well, I mean, Hattie McDaniel, she's a controversial person anyways because essentially she is a black actress who played white Hollywood's game. That's how she won her Oscar. And then for the rest of her career, she played mammy type character. And to me, the and you know, I get it. Like she's having to make a living. She's allegedly said like, Hey, I can play a maid for $700 a week, or I can be a maid for $7 a week. Um, so I get it. I don't want to fault this woman for, for doing this, even though a lot of black actors at the time were like, hey, we got to boy- boycott these roles or otherwise we're never going to get anything. And, and she played the game. To me, the saddest thing is whenever she died, one of her requests was to be buried in the Hollywood Cemetery. And they said, no, whites only. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is how did that exist Oh, I don't know what state she died in, right? But um, do you do you guys know? Was this was this show? Was she wanted to be in a well? That would have been in California. She wanted to be yeah, buried in California. in California. So how did how did that happen? That's what I'm trying to find out. Is like how did by what 1950 or wherever in a de facto segregation area of the country that is existing when it's not legislated in the same way? Like that's been a, a unique. Uh, difference has come up with and like just when i'm listening reading about jim crow they would just say like northern segregation but they don't go into it so like i've had uh marie who was on my podcast she's gave me another source but like i haven't had time to dive into any of them but these are just interesting questions i'm like okay well how did this come about like how did they de facto segregate in california all right. And like, cause I've heard some people back, well, no, they were more racist towards like Hispanic people, uh, you know, at, at that time in California. And I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, no, not what I'm coming into. Like, so, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, that's an interesting thing to me though, that it was just de facto, like it wasn't on the books, but it definitely existed. And 
like school in, in many institutions. I hadn't heard that about the cemetery, uh, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was bad everywhere. Um, I'm sure, you know, northern states and especially West Coast, California, like to brag about how, yeah, I mean, they, they uh, integrated schools a lot earlier than they did in the South, but they still had segregation for a while. Well, and I think that, um, I think racial tensions escalated when you had like the second great migration when you did have a lot of former slaves leaving the South um, after Reconstruction, uh, I think that Northern racism kind of skyrocketed during those times because you had them uh, moving and heavily populating uh, cities that had been predominantly white. And that was met with some, like, I guess you could maybe say massive resistance. Right. No, I, I, you're, I think you're right, Brian, especially like that period around the Great Depression, right, where you get the... The, mig the migration where, where you get folks who are, are leaving sort of the more rural um, sort of sharecropper life of the South and journeying into the, the cities of the Midwest and the, the upper North and right, because then it's, it's not just, I mean, it's not just a racist thing then, then it's also an economic thing. You're, you're, you're competing for housing, you're competing for jobs and um, right, the, that helps escalate sort of the tensions that we then later see uh later see come uh, sort of to a head in uh in the 50s and sort of the start of the classic civil rights movement so yeah i, I think that's that's a really really good point <clears throat> well so well, yeah do you guys just want to go ahead and kind of transition into gone with the wind start talking start talk riffing on that uh, I mean, but before we get to that, uh, the only other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, we're talking about like the lost cause myth here. There is another movie that falls in between both uh, The Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind that is notable. Now, what's interesting, I mentioned the uh, American Film Institute and their list of the top 100 movies previously. They had a list that they released in uh, 1998, which was supposed to mark the centennial of uh, American cinema. And they actually had Birth of a Nation on that list, right? But in the revised edition in 2008, Birth of a Nation was gone. However, there is another movie that was added to this and placed all the way at number 17. And that's a movie called The General from 1927, which was made by Buster Keaton the great uh, American comic, the, the great stone face, right? And uh, it is a Civil War set movie, which is based on a true historical incident, which was called the Great Locomotive Chase. I don't know, have you heard about this, Brian? Yes, this, I'm almost positive in intro to film, along with just like passing mentions of cinematic history that this is also brought up. Like that's not the first time I've, uh, I've heard of this, the trains, uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm charting what you're talking about. I haven't right. looked up, I haven't looked into it in a while, but yes. Right, it's, it's based on an incident that occurred in 1862 where uh, Union soldiers crossed over into enemy lines into Georgia and attempted to steal a locomotive called the General, but uh, were ultimately captured. But it's sort of like a hero story for the North, right? However, Buster Keaton's version flips it. Instead, the hero 
is a sort of uh, Confederate allied conductor who goes to take the train back, right, from the Union aggressors who steal it in the first place. But it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if, if that was actually Buster Keaton's view or not, because, I mean, he was a, he was a comedy genius. It is a great film. It, it, it's funny. It's wonderful. In, in terms of its, of, its, um, of its production and its, its like sight gags and stuff like that. But like, or I didn't know if maybe he did it because he knew that that's what would appeal to audiences at that time that that would be what would sell the film. You know, not, okay, if we make it about the North, people aren't gonna go see this because more people are believing or allied with the lost cause ideology at this point. But that was just something I thought about, you know, with this film. But it's something that you don't really see brought up in terms of this because no African-Americans appear in this movie. <laughs> You know, so it's not like there's a ton of overt racism or anything, but it's more focused on sort of this idea of the North as aggressor and the South as, you know, sort of... Uh, well, like alternate, basically, or, or fictionalized versions, like what we're saying. But like, this is about the third time I've thought about this. It's not super relevant to what we're saying, but take three films. And one I think we should do in this series would be Django Unchained. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. But... um Interestingly enough, like you take Tarantino, you take uh, like Inglorious Bastards, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, those have these alternate endings, right, of these historical right. events. Like, oh, Tarantino's going to change. But man, that just seems like completely different to me the way he does it. I have no problems with the way he does that. Like, I, like we're with the Tate murders in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but... Like, just the way he tells it, it's like, oh, yeah, you put some historical stuff in there, but, man, this is totally fiction. Like, you made a right. bunch of stuff up, but there's a bunch of history in there. That's like people got super upset with him over his portrayal of Bruce Lee as non-historical, you know? But it's like, that's... It, are we going to say, okay, well, if you're going to muddy, muddy the waters of history, if you're going to say based on a true story or something like that, you know, are you going to have to put a title screen up at the beginning, like a copyright screen of all your films to maintain political correctness in the future? Or are we going to have to pull uh, like a whole bunch of films down to do that too, before we can like put them back out there to kind of stop perpetuating um, these myths? Right, right, yeah. I think it seems like a lot of people look to movies now to get yeah, it's their weird. history from. Well, there's a great quote that I've heard that um, I, from a history book that uh, I read that was like, that said something along the lines, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, but that the, the greatest historians are the most influential historians of the 20th century were filmmakers. And I think that that's like a really, you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty bold statement, but I think there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And then they carry, that's, that's why it just caught me thinking earlier that it's like, there's a lot of influence there. And I mm -hmm. think when you deal with historical topics that you might, um, I've, I've just seen their big paranoia over influencing public opinion with fewer things like back in the Hollywood era, like it, when you, news channels are first coming out and stuff there there were regulations there so you could not 
like now I don't see how they could possibly do that. It's like I can live my entire life on social media. Yeah. You know? like good luck influencing or, uh, you know, censoring that, you know, but there's so many ways to do it now, but I also feel like we're like, haven't caught up. I mean, the internet's only been around since 95. We haven't even caught up with like uh, cyber law. Like there's a lot of things I think that are going to change big time with uh, with some of this stuff i think that we might just be i remember 10 years ago dr gleason in one of the classes i had her for talking about some basic thoughts she had about cyber law and how that nothing in that realm had even been touched at that time like they were just coming out with like some of the first cyber laws and i think that that will be um something that like i said mentioned people being censored on youtube we're seeing that right Mm -hmm. um but fascinating Okay. Um, well, I guess we can, well, okay. One more thing. And I, because I just, birth of a nation is an abomination and I, I enjoy, I kind of enjoy hating on it. <laughs> we didn't but, even um, mention the blackface. Exactly. That's what I was going to get to, right? It was white actors in blackface, right? Which actually make many of these characters appear even more monstrous. And it's so bad because of that, right? I mean, it's, it's like the scientific racism mutants or whatever you know it's, it's just it's terrible it's awful <laughs> you know i i may be making this up but i think they they did the black face because there's some scene that have some black actors right yeah it's typically a group of of black people and that's there's no white actors in the scene and i think they did that because they did not want black men in the same scene with a white woman yeah, that's that's interesting. Which is wild and offensive. Right. <laughs> Outrageous. Yeah, that's wild. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So what do you guys think about so one thing that I feel like I feel like people gave this guy a pass for years, but they've come for Robert Downey Jr. and Tropical Thunder, and I kind of like it. Right? Uh, like, I mean, that's a case of blackface. But it's, you see, okay, I'll, I'll put Tropic Thunder and Blazing Saddles in the same category. Offensive, but done for comedy, and the people it's making fun of are the racist. Right. It's not necessarily aimed necessarily at black people, but actors who go to stupid lengths in order to portray a character. Yeah. That's kind of how I view it. And Tropic Thunder even has a, another a black actor to call him out repeatedly on it. Yeah, aware of what it is, but yeah, it's it's a just kind of a pot shot at, at actors in Hollywood. So I give that one a pass for that reason. That yeah, that is. I mean, con- I think we should take into consideration context, right? Like, Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind or seriously uh dramatic films right like there's a tone to them right and i think you lose that with uh tropic thunder obviously because you're laughing but um that is an interesting point that like sort of the comedic value i hadn't really thought about that i mean robert Downey jr was nominated for an oscar for that role Oh man, and that man that that film's uh, doubly uh, politically incorrect because of um, Simple Jack. Yeah, <laughs> cross the line twice. Oh man, that is uh, too good. So, I guess so. Like, would you call um, 
Birth of a Nation and the general Light Gone with the Wind, these sort of event films of like yep. the early. Yeah, historical epic. Yeah. yeah. They are I mean, I mean, actually really similar in terms of tone and even, yeah, the time period it covers, kind of the, the plot, it has similar, similar where you birth of a nation's framed around these two families and the, I don't the story is so stupid. Gone with the Wind has a much better story, but it is, has, tries to have a romance. So yeah, they are very similar in that sense. Right. Well, and I, I think Gone with the Wind was like, uh, maybe the first, you know, film that was done that had dialogue that wasn't a silent film that was like telling the story of the civil war it was it was uh the general asylum film or no yeah no it was it was silent it was a silent film but but i mean the difference there is that the general is a comedy right i mean these other two films are, are dramas they're they're dramatic narratives and and uh um the general more uses the civil war as kind of the backdrop just to tell this kind of yeah uh, comedic narrative story, you know, and, but, uh, which Gone with the Wind, of course, yeah, it's, it's more, it's, it's definitely all drama, but just like, like Birth of a Nation was in, in that regard, right? Well, oh, and I think there's a lot of debate, like, I think a lot of people, uh, assume that Gone with the Wind was originally done in black and white, but it was actually, there had been colored films out for like four or five years, if I'm not mistaken. Like well, I, I looked that up. I was like, is, was this originally the color? Did they tint it after the fact? Well, but, uh, what, what you're probably referring to is the Technicolor process or whatever. Yeah. Which yeah. Right. I mean, but col actually color movies have been around almost since the beginning. I mean, a lot of that was like the, the, the techniques that they would use, but they'd actually hand paint each individual frame. They actually had yeah. groups of people who would do that. And I mean, there's some pretty cool restorations of some earlier silent films like that. Uh, if you've ever seen uh, George Millet's uh, A Trip to the Moon from 1902, there's a really, really neat uh, color version of that. But that's that's a whole different discussion there. But <laughs> we're talking about science fiction films. But um, uh, no, I mean, right. This comes out in A Gone with the Wind comes out in 1939, right? Which is also the same year that The Wizard of Oz comes out. Which is beautiful for its use of Technicolor, right? It starts out black and white, and then once Dorothy ends up in Oz, suddenly, you know, you're into full-on colored splendor at that point. But, uh, the, yeah, the spectacle of Gone with the Wind is similar, sort of, with the spectacle of the birth of a nation, right? Nobody had seen something of this scope before which I think Gone with the Wind, right, is it's it's a big movie. Well, I think it's worth mentioning the, the book came out in what, 1936, and it was a huge bestseller. It was like second to the Bible. So it's coming in off of this huge bestselling novel, whereas, yeah, Birth of a Nation is based off a book, and I guess it was kind of a hit, but not to the, the level. Yeah is Gone with the Wind, the book. And having read the book myself, the movie actually tones down a lot of the lost cause rhetoric right. and a lot of the racism. It's so when did you read the book, Julie? I read the book in third grade because I was weird. 
Um, but I did a reread as an adult when I was in grad school. So yeah, when I was in third grade, I didn't understand any of it. But <laughs> what, what ways do you see it being toned down? So some changes in the book, they use the N-bomb a lot. Um, also, the scene where Scarlett's second husband is killed after she, well, first she gets accosted in Shantytown. In the book, it is very clearly the men are trying to rape her, and it is specifically a black man. Uh, the movie switched it where it was the white man and the black man's dealing with the horse. So they at least they toned down that. But yeah, when they attack Shantytown, the political rally they're going to is a KKK meeting. And the KKK, like, they join up with them and out Shantytown. And, it, you know, KKK is shown as being these heroes who help this white woman being attacked by a black man. Um, there's that. There's a lot more about... Um, kind of romanticizing the South. Ashley Wilkes is pretty much a stand-in for the old South and being a Southern gentleman, which you kind of get in the movie, but I also think he's incredibly miscast, so you don't get as much of it. Right. As an aside, I want to say that's actually kind of a shame because Leslie Howard was not a bad actor by any means, but yeah, he was just miscast. I mean, it's obvious the guy's English. He doesn't even really attend to the accent. <laughs> Yeah, he has no southern accent. I mean, he did no. the movie so he could produce another film. So he, right. I, he knew he was miscast. But also, also, what's interesting too, and this is kind of like an aside thing, is that Leslie Howard, but um, died. He was shot down by uh, German fighters, like in '43 or whatever, on a passenger plane. Would they actually believe that Winston Churchill, I think, was on board the plane? What? So, uh, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that part of it. I knew. Really? Yeah, no, but um, back to get, yeah, I mean, this was like when, when I was rewatching it, and this is probably the first time I've seen it, well, or, or in 10 years or something like that. You know, and I mean, even, I, mean, I was back in my 20s then, but still it was like, uh, like I had to text you and I had to be like, okay, uh, political rally. Uh, does that mean like a clan raid, you know? And you're like, yes, you know? Yeah, it's clearly stated. Yeah, I was like, how did I miss this before? You know, I mean, it's obvious, right? Well, why would the, the military be there? You know? The movie tones <laughs> it down. They're, they're trying to stop domestic terrorism, you know? <laughs> it's the same with how they portray the slaves. I mean, the book does it as well. It's like, oh, we, we treated them well. There's like one line where Ashley Wilkes is like, you know, we treated them well, and I would have freed them anyway. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. If slavery, one line in your movie about the Civil War? Yeah. Did they, any mention in the book, it's like, I haven't read the book. Now I'm interested in maybe uh, trying to do it on Audible or something. But at any time, is there any portrayal about the horrors of the institution? No. Like, that's like, that is, I mean, I can get, like, portraying, like, okay, well, these are the house servants. These are the only ones you see. But, like, uh, on the film, like, when you see them, um, like, they're like, are, I say when it's quitting time in the yeah. field. Like yeah. that, it's like, man, you know, I bet they were just out there singing songs right before this. Probably just having a great old time, right? They appear to be in a good mood. It's the end of the day, you know? 
but uh, like the first shots of the movie is like six slaves in a field and yeah they look like they're having a great time well and 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 it it also almost suggests that they're like autonomous too right (laughs) that they hey yeah you know we we call the shots here you know we we're working for ourselves you know we yeah quitting time you know it's like it's like you don't stop being a slave right Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's ridiculous I was thinking too, I was like, you know, who all were the black characters in the movie? Yeah, Mammy. It she, whenever they're she doesn't leave. Her only role in the film is to take care of Miss Scarlet. That's all she does. Prissy is incompetent and annoying. Unless you take the alternate character interpretation that she was actively trying to kill them by being incompetent. But I don't think that's what the movie was trying to do. A pork who is slow and seems somewhat lazy, and then the only other one is really Big Sam, who is to save Scarlet, and then sound excited about digging ditches for the Confederate soldiers. I was just thinking about that. (laughs) Yeah, are we gonna go dig for the for the white man to lay in? I I was like, what? Yeah, but uh, well, so like what I was wondering, and I want to look up on Atlanta, um, whether or not you had uh, slaves trying to flee to Union forces, or you had, because I mean, some slaves were used in that same regard. I want to say I was reading about, in my history book I used for my US-1 class, about how um, they found some slaves that were being trained to help the Confederate army, not as soldiers, but to do like in soldiering tactics, like trench, trench digging and things like that, which, um, cause I had some student in one of my classes just recently be like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that slaves fought for the South. Like did they, that they had them to fight for the South. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, let's look into no, that. No, no. Well, uh, that's, a more recent contingent of this lost cause myth, right? That you had black Confederate soldiers and that's simply not true. Because even if you threw the ideal out there, right? Hey, let's let's give the slaves guns and, you know, be like, hey, they can fight for us and they can have their freedom, right? That that wasn't gonna go over with the high command. That wasn't gonna go over with the elites, the planner class, they weren't gonna have that. Uh, notably, right, the one guy in the Confederacy who first offers this, and this is toward the end of the war, right, when they're hurting for people at this point, was uh, General Patrick Claiborne, who was uh, an Irishman, and he was he lived here in Arkansas, and he fought in the Army of the Tennessee, and uh, he, he came up with the idea, he wrote this letter, you know, that's like, hey, you know, m- maybe we should do this, and he was ostracized because of it. And, but the, the, the idea that, right, that um, there were black Confederate soldiers is, yeah, it's not true. If anything, right, the, this, the slaves would have been used, like, like you said, Brian, they would have been used more to, for menial tasks, right? Digging ditches, entrenchments. Building the White House. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, there's, there's no his, real historical basis for, for this, but you, you still see it. Yeah, well, and that was like, that was just perpetuated in my US-1 class last semester. Like, and well, I was just telling you also about, um, you know, the seems to be some, I'm trying to figure out and get up on how, like how and why people are also trying to deify 
Nathan Bedford Forrest. Oh man. Did you, yeah, did you, okay. Are we going to have one on Kim Burns as the Civil War? Because I just want to throw Shelby Foote under the bus. What if we, what I thought about this on my way home from my office today, um, was driving. What if we save that for the very end? Because it's so big. Because I I, I looked around, I can't find another good, like if we wanted to do a pairing, like what we're doing with this Mm -hmm. and other episodes we talked about. But, if you can find something, I'm down to do some comparing well, no, and contrasting. No, I, I, I think that's that's spectacular. And I think it works too because it's a documentary. It's supposed to be history. It's or it's supposed to be history presented at yeah, it's supposed to be factual, right? For the most part. Even though you have the Lost Cause mythos showing up all throughout, you know, but no, I, I think that's great. I just kinda like the opportunity because Shelby sure. Foot gets gets so much airtime for civil war stuff and i mean he's if you see him on film he's a likable guy he tells a lot of humorous uh, and insightful anecdotes but he's not a very good historian bro what you were kind of the person that brought that to my attention i'm not even gonna lie you like saw, like because i hadn't seen that documentary in years and like i'd watched like the first part a couple of times um just and i i've gotten like super interested i'm going through i've gone watched a few episodes recently but like I, I and also started watching it recently just because you had made a post on Facebook and I was like, I thought this was great. I thought yeah, that, like oh, yeah. and then now like I'm I'm more aware of right. Well, well, there's 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 uh, uh I mean, and I I think this would would be really neat if they went back and perhaps uh sort of redid this or made an updated sort of version of this right to combat some of these claims. And whatnot, but I mean, I, I think I think that would be be really fascinating. But right, and I mean, spoiler alert: if we're going to talk about this later with the Civil War, right? Shelby Foote makes the statement, I believe, that the Civil War produced two geniuses: the first one being Abraham Lincoln, and the second one being Nathan Bedford Forrest. And you know, if if you know about the Fort Pillow massacre, and just I mean, the guy was one of the founders of the Klan. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's so bad. And he's also got a crazy looking statue that was put up, uh, uh, what, maybe, maybe like a couple of years ago or whatever that, yeah, that, right. But. Well, yeah, I had that same, I don't remember if I mentioned, did, did I tell you, I can't remember if this was this podcast or last podcast, I was talking about systemic racism right before this, but, um, <clears throat> Yeah, the Nathan Bedford Forrest thing, I still can't understand that because as somebody that I like respect somewhat recently, an older person in my life, they they were like, I don't even believe racism exists. And I was like, <gasps> I was like, this other person I love, he wrote two books on it. You know, like I was just like, you know, just trying to understand it. And I was like, but you have this. And then like we, you know, I was, I was actually having a conversation with him about the Irish slaves myth thing. Cause he had shared it. And this guy's like in his seventies. Right. And, and he was like, well, you know, the clan when they first started. And I was like, Whoa, I don't even want to hear what you're about to say. Like, cause he was, he was basically going to be like, well, the clan's not that bad. And he even did go on to say some of that stuff. And like, where does that even come from? Right. Well, th- this is actually mentioned in Ken Burns as a Civil War documentary. And it, it, it's, I don't know if it's like somewhat of a way of like absolving uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest of some of his prior sins or whatever. But it's like, well, even though he founded the Klan, 
he later left it because it just became just too violent for him. You know, and I'm like, this is the guy who ordered the murder of like 200 uh, captured African-American Union troops. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. This is the guy who Shelby Foote's talking about. Well, you know, he had 15 horses shot out from under him and he grabbed a Union guy and was using him as a human shield and, you know, while shooting other people. And it's like, you know, too violent, you know, for real. I feel like, too, if you found something and it becomes too violent, it's your responsibility to shut it down and not just walk away. <laughs> Yeah, right. You created this monster. Deal with it. Yeah, you know. So, well, I'm going to go and uh, uh, retire to my plantation and money. But, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he, and I know I'm hating on, on Forrest, but he deserves it. He deserves it because he's made out to be this rugged individualist, but he wasn't. He was a rich guy. He made his money prior to the Civil War. He owned land. He owned slaves. He's part of the planter class. He's part of the problem. So back, so like we're, you know, with Lee, like I kind of got down onto this uh, in some readings, but it's just like Lee became because of what you're saying and because of what Alexander Stevens said about the Confederacy oh, being the built on the speech. Well, yeah. and then Jeff Davis, but like basically they're like, man, those guys were so on the record with like their white supremacy that we can't, we can't really make a big deal about them, but it's it's really interesting to me the ways in which they were able to pass Lee off in the mythos, you know, like I mentioned uh, with Gettysburg, which I actually do like that film too. Like I've seen it several times. It came out when I was a little yeah. kid, right? But and but it does. Like I'm like, man, General Longstreet. Okay, like I, when I rewatched it as an adult, I was like, I don't remember any of the Union stuff except for Chamberlain and the little round top, which was was a cool sequence. Inspiring, but, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but like all I remember is is Longstreet and you know Martin Sheen is General Lee and how much like man like that film really does I feel like kind of go over the top but it's like that's you know ninety three I think when that's come out but that's a that's a uh, you know almost a hundred year process of like building him up building a guy that puts salt in the open wounds of the slaves that he personally beat like how did how did we how is it, they able to make him look positive? This is part of lost cause. Like the entire Southern men are just portrayed as being this, this upper class of men that had these values and they were gentlemen and, and they, they had a code they lived by. You see that in Gone with the Wind and the, the opening like scrawl, it's talking about, you know, the days of gentlemen and, and, and even the movie seems to think that's the reason that the South, they would win this war just because of who they are. And they had these coats and, and virtues and somehow they left out, yeah, the, the slavery part of it and the, the brutal treatment of other humans. Right. And, and getting back to Gone with the Wind, you know, talking about it, um, I, this, this is another film that makes the, the thing where, where they, they leave out Fort Sumner, right? There's no mention of it in the film. Instead, Lincoln's sending down the troops. Everybody go enlist. The war's here. You know, that sort of thing. And it's like, come on. You know, that was, that was crucial. Yeah, that's the, the, on the northern aggression. Like here, building on what Julie just said, um, well, here's a quote from the beginning sequence, right? Which it refers to like the old south as 
the end of a civilization, right? But uh, here was a land of cavaliers and cotton fields called the Old South. Here in this pretty world, gallantry took its last bow. Here was the last ever be seen the knights and their ladies fair of master and slave. Look for it now only in the books, for it is but a dream to be remembered. Wow. You know, I was going to say that uh, I thought Gone with the Wind really toned down the uh, Lost Cause rhetoric, but uh, that plays it up pretty well. That was, I got, that was literally the opening sequence, like it's yeah. giving you the text, and I was like, all right, here we are, back in the saddle, watching it again. Because, like, Cora and I watched, I watched it, like, early on when we were together, and she doesn't even remember us watching it, right? Um, but, like, I, I'd seen it, like, my sister and mom watched it several times when I was growing up, right? When I was probably that age that Julie was reading it. But, um, like, I, and there's some things I remember, like, the Prissy character. Damn, I remember her. Like, she really got on my nerves uh, with, her, with her voice and, like, screaming and stuff. Like, like, whining and getting slapped. Like, I remembered a bunch of stuff uh, from her character for some reason from when I was a kid. I don't know. I don't really know why. Uh, but she was just the one that, that stuck out the most to me. But, um, yeah, that's, um, I thought, you know, I, I'm interested too, that just like what Julie said, it's got me super interested to compare the book to the movie now. That's, I hadn't, cause any, like I actually, I have a lot of times like my students for their paper, I'll be like, look, you're going to write a, about this film that was quote unquote, um, based on a true story or you know a historical film because you always lose things and like we're talking about historical fiction essentially right fictionalized film but like there's plenty of films out there that are like they will take that creative liberty and then they still throw the hey this is based on real events true story based on a true story so like i i i think that that's like that why i was super interested to do these episodes with you guys is I already am super interested in the topic of how history gets into film and how it muddies the waters. And I never really even thought about it until we had this whole narrative going around the lost cause. I don't even remember how it came up, but I'm, I'm glad we're getting to do it. Cause man, I love film classes. Uh, I took two film classes in college and if there would have been an option to do more, like I, I, I never got to take Moses for American history through film. Did you take that? No, I, I didn't. No, uh, he taught that when I was in, mm -hmm undergrad yep. or grad school and I, I didn't I never got a chance but that would have been a great one uh but man that is just such an interesting topic to me history and film and how it all how, how you lose so much like or whether it's inserting these propaganda statements or or what well crazy too when you realize how much gone with the wind has influenced everyone's ideas of like the reconstruction era Mm -hmm. yes. like watching it and I'm like uh, I feel like everything I know about this I know from Gone with the Wind and I know it's not true <laughs> yeah it makes you doubt everything at that point right yeah yeah I had to act like what did I learn about the Civil War in grade school well, I, about Southern Bells that's all I remember right well what, what, what I was going to mention is I feel in a lot of ways the textbooks that we read in grade school in a lot of ways mirrored sort of this portrayal that we see in Gone with the Wind, the Old South, the, the, uh, the gallantry, the chivalry, right? mm -hmm. the virtuousness. Yeah. So, 
so do you guys think um that we were taught any of that when we were kids like i mean because i don't know because i don't have any of my textbooks you know what i'm saying like i've been like i want to read like my eighth grade textbook because i actually didn't come to public school until eighth grade right so but i i want to read and just be like what what narrative was i being told because like i'm not even gonna lie i wasn't paying attention very much at that time it was like my first year in public school you know so like i didn't even oh i didn't even like know how to be in a learning environment was like just like trying to figure out everything that's going on i like wish i would have paid more attention to like coach cal's u.s history class <laughs> um i'll say that as far as i'm aware like i mean i'm a historian and my first love in history was the american civil war right that's that's what got me into this whole thing. And I was like, probably like eight or nine years old, you know, but it's like, even then I feel like what I read, what, what I learned in school, what you, you could eat back then you could easily go and, and, and find civil war magazines and stuff, but that the lost cause narrative was all part of this, that it was it, even amongst historians in the nineties. Yes. 90s. Right. You had this this great resurgence of this lost cause myth. And I mean, I believed it, you know, or, or I'll admit it. You know, it's sort of like you were telling me in the last podcast we had how you went down to the Johnson County Courthouse during Peach Festival. And you're like, hey, look at this cool Confederate flag hat. Right. You know, you don't think it's wrong. Right. And it's like I felt sort of the same way. You know, I felt because I was in a way almost indoctrinated into this idea that, hey, maybe the South did fight for states' rights. Maybe it wasn't about slavery. You know, maybe maybe it's the the victors who have painted out these guys to be bad when it, they actually weren't. You know, but to go back to the, the one line about slavery and Gone with the Wind, Ashley Wilkes saying, "I would have freed them anyways." Yeah. I'm like, I feel like this, that's part of the lost cause is like, oh, we were fighting for states' rights. We would have freed them anyways. (laughs) They were, I mean, they were the the backbone of your economic system. There's no way we're going to free slaves. Right. And I I know it's hard for people to deal with the fact that, you know, their relatives or whatever, who may have been good, nice people or whatever, fought for the wrong side. They were on the wrong side of history. And I think that, you know, that's hard for people, people to to understand. But um, is and they'll throw out arguments like, well, we didn't own slaves. You know, it was, you know, it was, yeah, we were poor. We didn't own slaves. But it's like you were still benefiting from the structure of slavery because it was ingrained in every faucet of the the southern experience southern life if you were white you benefited from that in some fashion did you or were you referencing that i saw a video today thurman where it was like uh it was at one of these statues and you had this guy with a confederate flag like an overweight guy and he was like you know, he's like, oh, yeah, my slave was for you. Know how much you guys cost back then? Yeah, like, yeah. What he said, I was like, oh my god. But that was the part that was cut too, right? Wasn't yes. that? Wasn't that what it was? Because it was like initially, it was like because because the uh, uh, the the black guy was like, he said something like, like who was working your farm, right? You 
know? We couldn't afford y'all. Yeah. You know how much a slave cost? And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh man. Hey, I'm yeah. gonna plug I'm gonna plug in my Mac real quick. I didn't plug it in before we started. My my battery's down. Okay. I'll <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, you, you, I think it's hard for people to accept the fact that their relatives were uh, were on the wrong side of history, and that I, I mean, some of them may have been duped. I think it's possible. I mean, it depends on what you think the causes or who was necessitating or or uh, creating the conflict of the Civil War. If you think it was the planner class which were the ones, of course, who had the most invested in this, in the, in the institution of slavery. If they're the one who, who uh, create and cultivate this, this idea that we need to go to war, we need to fight. Um, but I think that that's, uh, um, I think that that's in, in kind of, uh, kind of part of it, I think. To me, it's comparable to, you know, Germany in World War II. Like, they they were all Nazis, but they definitely all fought for Germany, and they all get to share in the collective guilt of being on the wrong side. Right. And for some reason, the Confederacy and, and all the, the ancestors of Confederate soldiers do not want to share in any of that guilt and instead want to point fingers and be like, oh, well, the, the North, they didn't care about freeing slaves, they just wanted to, to I don't know, fight the South or all these other reasons. And then coming up with, yeah, the Confederate soldier was this great man. I mean, you've read the, all the inscriptions on the monuments about how great our Confederate soldiers were. So at what point are we going to stop and say, they made a mistake, let's move on? Yeah, well, this is right. And, and then you get, well, you take down the statues, you're erasing history or whatever right you know like like we're all gonna write have collective amnesia and suddenly forget about the civil war like oh what was that that happened you know no no that that's not gonna happen but uh, uh that that um but the i just i just don't understand the 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 idea behind the statues right you're, you're erasing history but the statues themselves are a fabrication. They're a created history. They're a story. They're not history. A story. A myth. Right? I mean, that is not history. I'm sorry, guys. I get worked no, up. Over I, I do, too. I'm just glad I can talk to you guys about this, because most of the people I talk to, it's not a conversation like this, right? It's, it's like me trying to be like, hey, you know that you're perpetuating a lie right now with this and that so it's it's it, it, all the conversations i've had about this have been like not an engaging discussion it's been like well did you know i mean with some people like housenick actually started um a change.org petition to get the confederate uh, mother's park to get the monuments removed there tag the mayor and stuff in it right okay so but uh, then i was going to talk to you guys about this in johnson county in the oakland cemetery where my grandpa's buried there's right. a confederate monument there yeah, right. we, we've been there. We, we, we actually went out there, uh, what, about a year and a half ago to look at it, I think. Julie and I did. And, mm -hmm. uh, but, right, I mean, do, do you think that's the proper place for that monument? I mean, it's in a cemetery. You know, with uh, – and I haven't seen the monuments at the Confederate Mothers Park here, 
but they are monuments, not statues. They, they as, far, as far as I understand, the monuments here in Russellville are to commemorate the actual mothers of uh, veterans that died. There's not like a lot of, I haven't seen the rhetoric or anything. And then it's like, oh, you have a monument for for dead people who fought in a war in a cemetery. Like those two are less controversial for me. Some of the other ones we talked about across the state, but still like, that's why I was surprised that I saw um, somebody being like, yeah, we need this shit gone. And I was like, well, okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, we do. But, (laughs) but I hadn't seen people take issue with that park. You know, it's just like a a park with some trails and I think like three little monuments, but they're, just a couple of monuments, some grave engravings on them. They're not statues. The statues uh, seem to be the hot button for the vast majority of people. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the the one that's that's in the Oakland Cemetery in Clarksville is. I mean, it's it's an obelisk, but it's relatively modest. I mean, it's not it's not a garish monument to the yeah the brave Southern soldier. You know, it's not it's facing not north. Way. Right. Facing facing the aggressor. Right. Yeah like the like some of the other examples that we've seen in in the state so um but the one that gets me the most is that fort smith one was originally in a cemetery gets knocked down by a tornado uh government sends a replacement and they're like this isn't good enough I, i need a confederate soldier i need rebel flags we need a a poem on it I like your accent. Oh, thanks. (laughs) That's my United Daughters of the Confederacy accent. But then then the government's like, well, you can't put stuff on there. And they're like, well, guess what? We're going to put it right in front of our courthouse. Like Mississippi putting the the Lee flag on their state flag. Like, oh, you want us to integrate? Mm. (laughs) Like, that just blows my mind in that, that five different states did that. Right? that inserted that those symbols and this is late like this is going into uh desegregation that that, that's starting to take place um fascinating i can't remember what year mississippi did that but i want to say it was in the 50s i could be wrong um but man that is like five different states we're like oh let's while we're erecting these monuments let's go ahead and do that too we make our state flag not just fly the old flag we're going to make it a part of our state's history yeah, we've incorporated racism into our local governments and into our towns, our our flags, and people wonder why racism is still a problem. Or it's deny like, it even exists. Or yeah, deny yeah. it's systemic. Like people deny that it's a, like that's one thing I picked up. It's not systemic. Our institutions. Well, it's like that's what's fascinating me about the de facto segregation in the North and West. It's like oh, it didn't even have to be legislated. How about that? Right? So um, here's something that kind of um, a, a stereotype that was brought up and gone with the wind that was was kind of concerning to me. You know how those Wilkes marry their own cousins, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, I forgot that part. But they, yeah. they like perpetuated that stereotype, which, I, I, you know, maybe it's not a stereotype. <laughs> How did that make it in? It's like, no, he's not going to marry you. He's going to marry his cousin. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They do say the Wilkes always marry their cousins. And then, you know, I, Ashley's like a very weak. Yeah. Right. He doesn't have a spine. You know, I was thinking like 
and this is kind of a totally different topic, but pretty much all the men, except for Rhett Butler, are emasculated and don't know what they're doing. It's a it's an interesting gender studies of Gone with the Wind. Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. Rhett Butler is a, a rugged character, though. Like I was remarking on that when I was watching it, uh, and his hair looked great. Like I'm like, how are you in how are you in jail right now, and your hair looks that. He's always got like the gel. Yeah. Well, okay. So I just, I read a bunch of articles about Gone with the Wind. And one thing I found fascinating is another black woman who won uh, an Oscar in 1990 is not pro censoring this film, which would be Whoopi Goldberg, right? She had uh, made some statements on The View one time, was arguing with Queen Latifah about it, apparently that it's censorship right and that um but then you have this other camp that's really arguing uh like the guy that uh originally kind of started the call to take uh the film down is that we just need some historical context here and we'll be fine whereas the second black woman to win an oscar is worried about it and thinks it's gonna you know where are we gonna stop there it's gonna dismantle positive parts of history so that was kind of interesting to me that you know, you would have that. And I wanted some one person like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like I was trying to see what people of color kind of commented on this, right? And just, just kind of compare it. But interesting perspectives. What do you guys think about that? I, I liked the adding context because, you know, I hate to say it, like Gone with the Wind is such a well-made film. Like it was groundbreaking. I can see why it's included and in list of the best movies ever made. And I think having the context of like, this is not a good representation of what it was like for black people. This is not a good representation of what the North was like. Maybe even recategorizing it as a fantasy film because it is not, it has a historical backdrop, but it is not very good at sticking to history. And I believe the man who, who his comment was, hey, add context to it was the, screenwriter for 12 years a slave yeah which is a great movie and is an amazing film if you want like the the black slave perspective so i'm like if you're looking for something more historical watch 12 years a slave if you just want to watch a good movie great scenes great filmmaking check out gone with the wind but you know like i said an asterisk of hey this is what was going on and this is lost cause rhetoric okay here's here's an interesting question, right? Do you think the birth of a nation helped the lost cause myth? I, you know, I would, I would say it definitely got the ball rolling on the perpetuation. Like, I, I want to go back and look more. Like, I, I've like heard of the film that you're talking about, or I think I probably, I've either seen clips of that film or I've heard the actual story. Like, I got to go back and look into like the general. But oh, yeah. that, that's like interest, interesting that that's kind of the filler bridge the gap between Birth of a Nation Gone with the Wind for me. Like, I want to go get some more context. But I would right. say that, like, I mean, when I was, like, reading and looking into this, watching the films, is that Gone with the Wind seems to be the next big thing to come up after Birth of a Nation involving the Civil War that was, like, maybe you mentioned other ones, more of a comedy, but uh, that were, you know, a pretty serious tone to them and right. i think that it definitely opened uh, maybe a pandora's box right 
Okay, yeah, because right then the next right next question would be: Do you think that Gone with the Wind was more influential to the Lost Cause myth than Birth of a Nation was? And I would say yes. Birth and that's of a because Nation. it's more digestible. It's, yeah, Birth of a Nation is so racist that right. you're like, especially in this day and age, you're like, oh my god, this is ridiculous. Gone with the Wind is so well made. And like overall a story of survival, like there's other things that are really good in it that you're like, oh, this is a good film and kind of just digesting all these lies from about history that actually happened. So yeah, in a way, Gone with the Wind has had a, a much bigger impact on how people view the Civil War and Reconstruction. And, and it's, it's also the question of, do you think that sort of the watering down of sort of the, the lost cause into this more palatable form in Gone with the Wind. Is that intentional? Or are, are the, the people writing this stuff fooled themselves? Or are they intentionally trying to uh, get this point of view across? That's why I think like the lost cause was already a believable story at this time when they're making this. I do know Gone with the Wind, they're, they're trying to tone down parts of it to make it more digestible for, at the time, what was a modern audience by taking out the more racist parts of the book. But I think they actually believed in most of this because this is what they've been taught in schools. By this time, like United Daughters Confederacy are already putting this history in schools. So I... I don't think it was a deliberate like, oh, well, let's further the cause of, of the South. I think they just thought that this was how it was. Right. I, I agree with that sentiment. And one thing that I did think of was, um, okay, well, maybe, maybe one of the reasons that they also dumbed this down was to get more people to come to the theater and see it. But then you realize how much money Birth of a Nation made. You know, it's like there's, there's no point for it then, right? So it's like they had to probably believe that this, hey, this was factual. This is how uh, the antebellum post, antebellum South actually was, you know. One thing's interesting, you mentioned earlier, Thurman, is that like it take it to the 10 year window and you, Birth of the Nation goes off the list, but this other film goes on the list. And, you know, maybe we're just seeing waves of that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we became more conscious of of birth of a nation as uh, propaganda and controversial and uh, perpetuation and and then that gets a, it's a model as we move forward and it's like you become aware like this is not super relevant but I thought about historical manipulation just making comments on the public opinion but there's this happens like I wrote my master's thesis on the history of martial arts and I, like short story why is because you know who writes the history of martial arts? A bunch of non-historians that practice martial arts. Mm -hmm. So there's an inherent bias there that you get from these practitioners. It makes a lot of sense. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I do. And two, I think about it all the time. Like, how can I not be biased since I own a martial arts academy and all this stuff? But they're in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, for example. They manipulated the heck out of that history. Uh, mm -hmm. They did it with judo before that. And I, I hit on that in my thesis a little bit, but there's this one thing that, that it came to our attention that was false. Like you can't, like Woods and I were talking about, I was like, dude, look at this, man. Cause I asked him what he thought about historical manipulation of martial arts. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, when he's like, and I mentioned the stain, he's like, well, what about this guy? And I was like, bro, that is, I'm what's what I'm talking about. This guy right here that you just mentioned, that's made up and we were fooled. 
right? They're saying right now that that guy never was associated with any of this and that that is a falsity. And yeah. I was like, and we're two historians and you're one that I respect like more than any other historian I know maybe. And we were duped just because of how it was presented, right? And it was presented to us in a way where like, maybe like you love film, that's not, but like, okay, we love martial arts. We practice this martial art. This guy that we know that's not a historian, he told us about this and we were like, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so like, I, I wonder if there's like a filter where like you just use methods of, okay, well maybe a birth of a nation was bogus, was perpetuating these ideas. Maybe, well, what else is? It's like, it teaches you to kind of think critically in the, in that narrative and just going through all this lost cause stuff, man, I'm, I'm seeing it everywhere. Yeah. No, it's, it's the lost cause is completely ingrained in some form in how the civil war is told. I mean, overall in general, there are, there's, there are elements that are in there and uh, it's going to probably take another 200 years in order to, uh, you know, try to set the record straight on that and base things on actual empirical historical evidence. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the lost cause for a lot of people is the story of the Civil War, the states' rights thing. I mean, there's what, that shocking statistic or whatever that nearly half of the American populace believe that the Civil War was fought solely over states' rights. States' rights do what? <laughs> exactly. Own slaves. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> do you yeah. like if you go, you know, if we were to go back to the actual Civil War and ask Confederate soldiers what they were fighting for, do you think they would say, I'm fighting to keep my slaves? Or do you think they would it would be the same like, oh, states' rights? And then we'd well, be like, states' rights to what? There, there's this great scene in Gettysburg, which is like the only part where there's like any mention of like any sort of Confederate thing where it's like uh, um, Joshua Chamberlain's brother, right? He's talking to these like captured Confederate prisoners, right? You know, and he's like, hey, this is kind of what we're fighting for. You know, what, what are you fighting for, Reb? And he's like, fight for my rats. You know, <laughs> he's, you know my rats. <laughs> I remember hearing that that southern accent was so thick it sounded like he said rats. Yeah, I was was like, did he say rats? Yeah, man. But but yeah, it's uh, like, and I I know Brian and I we've talked about this, but right, it's like yeah, what 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 would they say? You know, what what was the cause? And it's sort of like what I was was getting at earlier, where where it's I feel mostly was probably the the planter class are the ones who are responsible for the conflict, right? Because they're the ones who have the most invested in the slavery institution. Not to say that, I mean, like I said, everybody in the South who's white is benefiting from the system of chattel slavery, but that the planter class, the ones with, with the political power, the economic power, they're the ones who have the most to lose. And they're willing to bet not only black lives, but white lives in order to secure that. And that just shows the lengths that, you know, they were willing to go for to protect this terrible institution. 
that's something that's come up. I've, well, I was texting Thurman about it. It's like, how do you address this? And like, I was joking, like you text me a, a pretty long reply. And I was just like, I was reading, I was like, <laughs> like, it was just like confirming all of my thoughts on it. Because I mean, that is fascinating to, to think about, like, you know, I was, I was asking Thurman, I was like, what is it? Rich man's war, you know, like, how did they, able to mobilize it and that's something that people bring up well you think the average confederate soldier was out there fighting to preserve slavery and like i've come across that with a couple of people i've engaged with and i'm like yeah no that's that's kind of an unfortunate part about it too i mean like thurman said on this podcast is like yes slavery touched every life way in the south really but um it is into that is something that man i've got to place a i, I got to talk to the black again like i hadn't talked to him since march march or april um but man i him and and uh dr jones both uh would be great to just try and drum up something with whether it be a podcast or what have you but i haven't i haven't talked to the black since i've been down this civil war rabbit hole the last six weeks right and um man he's the guy to talk to he was teaching that class at hendrix when the um when the pandemic started Right. Well, uh, you know, like we, we go into rationalizations for why people fought or whatever. And this is like what I was, I think I mentioned in the text message is that people were in the South, were, well, the planner class were terrified that uh, the North was, that the abolition movement was going to grow out of control because you had the John Brown raid, which happened in 1859, right on Harper's Ferry. And, and that, that these people were scared that rabid abolitionists would come down and start these slave revolts and that people would be hacked to death, you know, that, that this, this would happen. And so that's why they start drumming up, you know, well, hey, this is about states' rights. No, they're trying to protect their investment because they know the writings on the wall. Slavery is going to go out. Uh, I read about I mean, like, slavery well. being part of the, the social you know, not just economical, but it was a social thing. And, and people wanted to own slaves like you would want to buy a house nowadays. Social mobility. Right, of. Yeah, it's, it's a status thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Class, class. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So basically the guy at the statue, my family worked their whole life to try and afford slaves. That they never could. <laughs> like, like that was that was okay. So you know, like Thurman, I've been talking about the American dream and what that, what that is and maybe how it's changed. But it's like, like, think about that. At one point in the South, that was probably associated with like, oh, you see this planner over here? Like that's the, that's the aristocracy. That's the highest, you know, in the, in social mobility, that's the highest rung on the ladder. That's what, you know, and maybe tons of people didn't aspire to that, but everybody's trying to climb the ladder in some way, I feel like. Well, I mean, if you know, you mentioned that. That's totally right. That just undermines that guy's complete argument at that point, right? I mean, you know, right? Because he's talking about slavery as being, yeah, it's a status thing. You know, you own a slave, you're somebody, and it's like, then that proves that slavery is part of your system, is part of the Southern system, and that it did touch your life in 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 some way, right? Yeah, you know, too, I've been, it's like, I've just been describing it this way and like just reading some of the rhetoric by Alexander Stevens, Jefferson Davis and others. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, yes. Okay. So, yeah, the South was 
built on the idea of or the confederacy rather not the holistic south but the confederacy was came together upon the idea of what you could only call white supremacy right like you read what they say when they're forming and how it's mentioned i mean uh, like uh over 80 mentions in the secession letters slavery's mentioned in every secession letter and i mean the rhetoric's strong in some of them right 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 no no Oh, Do you think they thought, because he, part of the lost cause rhetoric is that they, oh, they treated their slaves like family. They were, they were a part of the family. They treated them well. And then, you know, we talk about stuff like Robert E. Lee pouring salt in their wounds after whipping them. And do, you, do you think they actually thought that, or is that something that developed after? I don't know. What do you think there? Well, re- rephrase that again. What do you think the the Confederacy, the people, the people, the citizens of the Confederacy thought they were treating their slaves well? I think that's a really fascinating question. You know, that's something that I honestly um, had kind of slipped on and hadn't thought about. I think if if like you have the cornerstone idea, right? That that this crazy idea that you know the that blacks are subservient to whites and that we should build a whole society based on this then yeah i would say some people actually believe that yeah hey we're treating them great because they view them as almost subhuman right they're not on it's the scientific racism thing they're not on the same level as us right so yeah we're 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 treating them good we're or it's like it's like lee right with with owning slaves hey i'm i'm offering them a window to Christianity, right? You know, I've seen that perpetuated a lot. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's it, it's not just with slavery. I mean, this is also an idea that that underruns all of like the imperialism stuff too, uh, on a wider global scale. You know, hey, we're bringing people technology, but we're also saving their souls. You know, that sort of thing like that. And and but that 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 yeah, I I do think that probably even though. Um, yeah, the conditions were awful that they thought that they were actually helping these people from a lesser existence. Yeah, achieve, the helping them achieve civilization. Yeah, what, whatever, what, a civilization that is built on a terrible racial lie. Man, that um, Richardson, the author of that old South book I keep mentioning, she, in the very first chapter of the book, goes into when it became racial. Mm-hmm. right it's like uh in why it became racial which i'd gotten on to that like previously is just basically like hey who could we not have a hard time tracking around tracking down like uh oh well you know you look totally different you, you know african slaves they're a different color they're going to be easy for us to police they're going to be easy for us to track down if they run away they're they look different boom, we're going to stick them over here in this corner of society and we will civilize them over time. But that was something I'd never really like thought about. Like, okay, well, you're going to be a slave because like you're black and then the transition to that and like the whys behind it. And then the things that went in place, like, well, like the scientific argument and, and other things, right? Well, you're just, you know, beneath. Yeah. yeah. They went through like a lot of like philosophical 
gymnastics to come up with how black people were somehow below white people, including doing these weird scientific experiments to be like, oh, well, their brains aren't like ours. And that comes up in Django. They seem, yeah, phrenology. Yeah, they seem to... They seem to be closer related to monkeys than we are. And now, like, looking back on and even, like, getting into the whole thing of, like, um, you know, Black women are, like, over-sexualized and then they're going after our white men, which was the total opposite. I'm like, this is a lot of lies. And like I said, mental or, yeah, philosophical gymnastics to come up with all of this, but people believe this for hundreds and hundreds of years. I know I've been engaging online with some world-class gymnasts. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's wild. Digital Olympics. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a gre the greatest way I've heard it described too. It's like to perpetuate and buy into a lot of these things that we've talked about today you got to jump some hoops in your mind. Like, yeah. and, and the hoops that I jump are like more like what I was saying with Woods, like he's trying to figure out racism, uh, writes two books about it in the process, right? Trying to figure out what it means, why it is. And it's like, we, we're going through the same process, right? Right here on this recording is like, like several times I've just been like, what, how is that? Like what, you, you got to you, You're trying to we're trying to understand it from a different point, not to justify it, not to confirm our biases, but just to like to understand how it got to be this way and how it how it fits like in understanding stuff like this is. It's mental gymnastics, too, you know, <laughs> it's just the only way to describe it. It's mentally fatiguing. It affects the way I sleep like, yeah, it, it's weird. Like I've tossed and turned. uh multiple nights since like the George Floyd protests and every everything that started around that uh, started kicking up because man you see it every day everybody you know is talking about it and divided on it and then this all of this backdrop the monuments and yeah well um, you know it's like we were talking about in the 68 podcast is that you know these are issues that historically here in the United States, you know, I mean, we could trace back to, of course, the classic civil, civil rights movement, but you could trace it back even further than that. I mean, this is, it's not just, it's a historical problem. It's an ethical problem. It's a human problem. I mean, you know, it, it's civil rights movement. You can go to the Jim Crow stuff. You can go back to Reconstruction Civil War. You can go back previous to that, to 1619. You can do that, you know, but like, um, but that, that it's, it's a fundamentally human issue and it's something that has to be dealt with you know we just can't keep ignoring it because we're going to be having the same discussion 50 100 200 500 years from now you know but it has to be dealt with and uh i mean we're historians and i know like uh i mean i know i really come across as having an anti-confederate bias you know but um and, and I, I know I've, I've argued with people this before because they feel that like I'm being maybe too judgmental that I should have looked at, well, in these, you know, you're supposed to look at people in their time period and sort of what their thought, their mentality and all that. But to me, it's, it's, and it, well, the, the argument about being on the right and wrong side of history, but to me, it's, it's deeper than a historical problem. It's a human ethical issue. And I think that you can draw a good 
or a bad or good and evil from that, I think you can do that. I, I think that's possible. And if that makes me a bad historian, so be it. I, yeah, not in any way does it, man. I, because here's the thing, like one of the biggest upsetting things for, in all this and why I think I, it would lead me to toss and turn at night is because this is a moral issue. Right. It's always been a moral issue. And I feel like when some of the rhetoric and things that we're, you know, tapping into and discussing, that is, I mean, the mental gymnastics people are playing to justify it. It's like, oh, like, you can compare, use comparative suffering all you want, but it's just like, look, this is morally wrong. And when you want to bring up some other suffering or some other incident, or it just doesn't work. Did Jeremy right. tell you the other day on some, somebody online was like, what about the Holocaust? Right. <laughs> and, and he's like, Oh, so you'll just jump immediately to that one. Right. But you won't acknowledge this over here is, is being also wrong. Right. Yeah. Like, right it's it's just a complete logical fallacy they both can be awful you know that's it's yeah it's just yeah it's 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 unreal and but yeah i mean i've i've had the argument you know but you're right it, it is it is a completely moral moral discussion it's more than i mean it is historical but it it's it's moral and uh um i mean i i think that that yeah i think that that's the gist of it. I think that that's I, so. I feel like we're, we're still in that mindset of like birth of a nation where I think people think if we give equal rights to black people that they will turn on white people and kill all of us. Yeah. Like why? <laughs> yeah, maybe if we keep doing this for another hundred years, they might. And if we do, like maybe we deserve it. Well, it was like that meme that I sent you, right? About like, you know, people saying all lives matter and all that. And it's like, you know, well, if, if the roles were reversed and, you know, uh, a black Americans or black people were in your place and white people's places. And, you know, or if you're afraid of that, you know, what does that say about you? What does that tell you about you? You know, it, it, that's, yeah. You know, this is something, um, Cora showed me this video and we might've talked about it on our podcast, but this lady that, um, was given a talk in this auditorium and she's like, it was, it was a room of full of white people. And she's like, you know, who in here would want to swap places with a black person? Right. You know? And like, nobody stood up on that. Right. Like everybody's like, uh, <laughs> he's like yeah good that's going to be the and you know the whole precedent of my talk today is that you know and then uh something i saw that come out this week it was like if you never had to have a supreme court decision which like this is also like with women right like so but if you never had to have a supreme court decision decide whether or not you had got to have equality maybe you've got privilege yeah Right. Like, cause that's another thing. It's just a denial of white privilege, um, you know, which not trying to get super into that, but it, it's like, well, yeah. Okay. So, but let's think about all of these other sets of lives that do not matter. Right. Gays, blacks, mm. you know, women couldn't vote. I mean, it's, it just goes on and it's like, uh, native Americans this is a lot of disenfranchised groups that were not afforded, uh, that our highest ideals, in our constitution, do I, oh, you're going to be denied that. It's a great idea, but it's just not for you. But Brian, that's when you get somebody who's like the Irish. 
No, oh, God. <laughs> the Mayans also. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Slavery is a non racial issue. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah, I'm like. Know. I've really, in the past like month, have realized just how whitewashed our history has been and what we've been taught in schools and, you know, learning. I already knew about the Tulsa massacre, but it's getting more um, publicity lately. And I've seen so many people that are like, I've never even heard of this. Right. Or, or the Elaine massacre, which happened. Yeah. So, right. Is, is a, another, another instance. Mitch Lerner, that guy Woods introduced me to, uh, the Pueblo guy, he's writing a book about um, race in the military, right? So, and um, man, he does some, he's just written some articles. He's been writing tons of articles since the quarantine's been in, but he talks about this same stuff. So, um, wild. But hey, guys, I got to wrap it up. But um, let's just like a couple of minutes. um, What do we want to do next? What, what we want to go gods and generals gettysburg what kind of ideas do you guys have well i mean if uh, if you all want to do that that's fine with me i mean gettysburg is uh, it's a relatively good film you'll probably enjoy about the four hours of that you won't probably enjoy the four hours five hours of gods in general <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh no i mean i think that that's great um yeah i mean that that works i think that would be an excellent pairing uh, I mean, we, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, I know we, we touched on both of these, uh, uh, both Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind. I mean, but we could, we could always go back to Gone with the Wind just because it's so important in, in terms of, of that. And, but I, I think the next one should be Gettysburg and, and Gods and Generals because um, this deals with it more from a civilian perspective and those movies are more militarily focused so maybe you know that might offer us some insight into why these people were fighting you know why were the soldiers fighting you know we we know about the war at home and how distorted it was in these films you know but um yeah i I think that that might be an interesting what what uh who who brought up cold mountain i did it was thurman yeah that was me (laughs) Yeah, cool. well, cool. watched it. Yeah, I mean it's it's okay, but it's about it's about a southern deserter. But the first like uh, 10, 15 minutes of the film is the uh, Battle of the Crater at Petersburg in uh, eighteen sixty four, which uh, um, I mean I don't know if if any of y'all have looked into that. That's an interesting Civil War battle, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we could uh, there's got to be a film we can find to compare to say or uh, if you want to go military you could even throw glory into there that's a great oh, yeah film. yeah right that's, i think too like we should look at Shenandoah. that one gets okay. looked a lot right, old, old school right that jimmy stewart right that's was that gosh, i don't remember what year that was it's in the 60s 60s so i was gonna say i thought it was the 60s but i was kind of like in doubt yeah Brian, consult the source of all knowledge, Google, for that. I'm on it. I'm pretty sure it's the 60s. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you talk, we could watch at some point and compare to something. 65. Uh, well, okay, 65. Right. Well, that's interesting. Um, I mean, we could, uh, Brian, you mentioned uh, Django Unchained. Uh, we have 12 Years a Slave. Could watch that. 
you know, and, and maybe make some comments on it. But um, I think, that, I think, okay, maybe, maybe that you, you think we have enough time to cover uh, and then right, and did, do the civil war documentary at some point, Ken Burns, the civil war. Yes. But, uh, should we just stick to two? Films? I think that's a, I think it's a pretty solid idea. So long, you know, especially gods and generals. Everything what do you think about a four hours long? <laughs> What do you think about this? Maybe before or after the Ken Burns, because it sounds like we're probably going to break into about 10 films, right? Um, roughly, but maybe doing a recap. Like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, we're doing something like that. We're teaching this advanced class here at the gym. And at the end of it, we're doing it for 12 weeks. We're like, hey, we're just going to spend just a recap day, three hours long. That's what we're going to do. Um, but if you want to have a podcast where we like, we just work our way through. Oh, somebody said good, bad, and ugly too. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was me. Yeah. yeah, but if we want to work our way through and, um, you know, see uh, see what we come up with, I wonder also about um, what Outlaw Josie Wales would that be one that would work? Yeah, well, Maybe I mean, Harrison Clint Eastwood's. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's two that's meals for Sister Sarah, I think probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just oh, get into man. a bunch of spaghetti westerns because no. Yeah, but maybe we could do Good, Bad, and Ugly and Django together. That would be interesting. Yeah, because well, they are uh, kind of both spaghetti, I guess. I mean, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Well, but like, uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly though is more like Civil War is used as a backdrop. It's not, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but with Django, you know, I mean, it, even though that's set right in pre-Civil War era, in in Tarantino's own envisioned Civil War, pre-Civil War era. You know that it's it's more ingrained into the story, is what I'm saying. Yeah, with the so like the like the mammy type that that we've mentioned a few times, like when like what Tarantino does with Samuel L. Jackson's character yeah. in that movie, Steven. like when he first when like Django first comes riding up, he's like, "Why is he on a horse?" Like he starts losing his yeah. mind. Oh man! Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, we'll we'll have to plan it, get a date together, um, and I'll be talking with you, Thurman, about, um, I've been talking with Marie, she's super down for a 68 election episode, and I've been getting a lot of positive feedback on the 68 episodes, this guy that's coming on my podcast next week, um, he watched both of our 68 episodes, then he watched Marie and my episode, then I was like, if you like that, you should check out Thurman's thesis episode, so like, man, people are people have been giving me a lot of feedback it is kind of steady coming in like i've been getting shares on the one that marie and i did so yeah we're doing good work here guys we're gonna get these monuments down that is my goal <laughs> yeah well, hey i'll be talking with you guys about some dates soon and um i really appreciate you guys collaborating come on the show it's awesome talking with you yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. All right, cool. Well, I will um, send this uh, after I get it edited. I'll send it over to you guys in Messenger if you want to share it and everything. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. We'll see you. See you, see you later.